Welcome into another episode of the Play-by-Play Perspective alongside Will Connerly. I'm Colin Surrey. We've got some special stuff to talk about. It's it's like Christmas time this time of the year. Come the the week before the conference tournament, you're counting down the days. You got another a, a little thing to put in your your calendar for each basketball day to count down. And, and will a crazy week last week that we have to break down and all kinds of implications with these games coming up with the points rating system, which by the way, we were able to catch up with Tyler Madsen, get a big breakdown of that. A lot of exciting stuff that we have to bring to all of you. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you guys can check out that interview with Tyler Madsen um, as well. Cause that was just unbelievable to break it down um, and, and give us a little bit of insight on what is on the line, kind of a little bit of the history of the points rating system and a little bit of clarity of uh, what it means um, for every team. So I, I really enjoyed that and I am thoroughly going to enjoy uh, breaking down all of these matchups uh, that we've got on the horizon and looking back at what some teams have done as of late and how they've picked up momentum headed into what is hopefully a tournament berth for some of these teams. A lot of teams still alive. I mean, 11 of the 13 still have a chance. So that's pretty fun. Yeah, let's get right into some of those recent results. We'll go back to last Thursday, as we always do, and start with the UND Greyhounds taking down the Drury Panthers by a score of 76 to 65. And it was a game where the UND Greyhounds jumped out to a big halftime lead. They were dominant in the first half of that one. But the Panthers, you know, it's kind of a sneaky team that doesn't reflect their record that they have on the year. They were able to chop that lead back down from double digits. It was 17 right out of the break to begin the second half. They got it all the way down to five points with six minutes left to go. But these UND Greyhounds have proven too much for just about everybody this year, Will. Exactly. And when you look at specifically too much, it was Kendrick Choa being too much in this game. He had 27 and 14. Not only is he too much physically for most teams, he's too much physically, especially for the Drury Panthers. Again, I don't think I gave that enough um, hype. 27 points and 14 rebounds uh, for Kendrick Choa against Drury. And I think one thing that Drury is missing this year is a big physical presence inside. I'm not saying that anybody's going to stop Kendrick Choa but with their lack of size, he's able to have a field day with 27 and 14. And yeah, he went 11 of 13 from the floor. Another ultra efficient night for a guy who's been toward the top of the nation all season long in field goal percentage. He gets a lot of those high percentage looks at the rim. And when you go up against a team that struggles to guard bigs like Drury this year with their lack of size, well, you see what happens, um, especially with Drury. You look at most of the year, it's been Adam Moore being their five. He's a great player but you look at some other fives in the league and it's a tougher matchup defensively. I mean, last year, I thought Drury had one of the better post players in Obi Okafor who really did a good job. And I feel like they're missing that this year despite some of the offensive firepower they have from Quinton Shelton and Logan Applegate, especially Applegate in this second semester. I think that when you look at 
teams able to get easy buckets inside, it's really hard uh, to answer that. And it asks your team to really be effective from three-point range. What Drury has been this year, Drury's been a really good three-point shooting team. I mean, even in this game, they hit 11 three-pointers. But when you're able to establish and dominate uh, the painted area with Kendrick Choa and then Jesse Bingham added another 23 points in this game, I mean, that two-headed monster is as good as any in this league. And they kind of put that on display, especially – uh, getting out in front in the first half. And that was just uh, what they do inside Nickerson Hall. They're going to pound it inside. They're going to make it really tough for you to do what you want to do um, on the any end of the floor. Although Drury did make it close, uh, hitting all those threes in the second half. They went 8 of 15 in the second half to come within five, but it wasn't close. Whenever you feel like you're within striking distance of Indy, they've got answers on the other end of the floor, it feels like. Well, Big Brother always has that answer, right? And that's kind of what UND feels like, the way that they get it done by out-physicaling you, by just being stronger in the painted area like you talk about. I mean, you look at those 27 points for Kendrick Choi. He does it on 11 of 13 shooting. That's a guy that's not going to step out beyond the arc. And, you know, commendable what Choi has done at the free throw line to at least improve himself a little bit this year. He's 5 of 7 from the free throw line in this game, a guy that you know, it was kind of a flip of a coin when he went to the free throw line in years past, whether he was going to make one or not. And then Jesse Bingham, of course, doing what he does. And great point that you made about Adam Moore. Adam Moore was missing in this one for Drury. Yes, he and he's been missing uh, for Drury, which is a big miss. And I know that you look at what you has been able to do even throughout the year. I think it's been a problem. It's even a bigger problem when you're without a guy who plays at the forward position for you and has been one of your best players um, this season. One of the more experienced guys in the GLVC came over after playing four years at Quincy, but in this game specifically, the painted area was the difference. 52 points in the paint for you, Indy, just 20 for Drury. So when you're able to do that, I mean, that can tell you a lot about another team. 52 to 20 that's very striking in terms of the difference in points in the paint and that's why although you Indy just shot three of 17 from three-point range two of 12 in the second half when you score 52 points in the paint well you must be doing something right and they shot 69 percent in the first half to really get ahead of Drury a struggling team and yes when you're already without you're an undersized team already and then you minus Adam Moore from your roster. It makes it a long day at the office going up against Kendrick Choa. Jesse Bingham loves to play on the block. Bruno Williams is an attacker and an assassin and really is somebody that I feel like should be talked about a lot, especially down the stretch. He was the guy at Lewis, and now he's not the guy at UND, but he is a piece of what is a juggernaut of a program right now. No question about it. The UND Greyhounds get it done at home against Drury, 76 to 65. And you mentioned those points in the paint. Well, the next game that we're going to talk about features a couple of teams that love to do their work down in the paint, Illinois Springfield and Rockhurst. The Prairie Stars right now are trending in a great direction. This game was tied at halftime, played at the track where the Prairie Stars play their home games. And in the second half, they're able to outscore Rockers 39 to 30 to come away with the win. 
Jack Weber has been turning it on in a huge way down the stretch this year. He goes 10 of 14 in this game, scores 23 points. Kaku Shadzi had a tremendous game for Rockhurst, but not just not quite enough around him in this one. Limiting Rich Byrie to 10 points and seven rebounds is an excellent job from this UIS team collectively. And then you look at just solid performances all around Jack Weber in this one. Jacob Hanna gave you 12. Jordan Rice, another 12. Another 12 from Max Coonert. And they all do it efficiently from the three-point line. And that's kind of the recipe for this UIS team. It really is. Rockhurst has been so impressive. I think they've been one of the best stories in the league. I mean, they were toward the basement of the league last year, finishing 14th out of 15 teams in the points rating system. They still have an opportunity to finish inside the top four, potentially get that two seed still uh, with with games to play, uh, but fall short against UIS. UIS has just been a dominant team this year. I think dominant is the fair way to say it, especially at the track center they've been extremely dominant at home UIS has picked up some massive home wins this one against Rockhurst was no different and in this game it was Kaku Shadzi who hit a foul shot to go up by two with three minutes and 23 seconds left of the game Rockhurst led by two points but then Jordan Rice tied the game up on the next trip down the floor with a couple foul shots Jack Weber then got some buckets down the stretch Jordan Rice then hit a three with less than two minutes left to put UIS up by three and that's as close as Rockhurst would get in this game Jordan Rice makes it 67-64 and then UIS or sorry UIS scores the final nine points of the game to be able to win 70 63-64, winning by nine. I mean, they just go on a run down the stretch after Rice hit a three to go up three. Then Hannah hits a foul shot. Weber hits a foul shot. Hannah hits another foul shot. And then eventually Rice finishes out with free throws. After that, Rice three, going up three with less than two minutes left. UIS just hit enough foul shots to fend off Rockhurst in this game and ultimately pick up the victory despite Kaku Shadzi really having some unbelievable games this year. This one being no different. He put up 25 points. I mean, Kaku Shadzi, Byrie, and Tamaris Brown all this season have had 25-plus point games for Rockhurst. They all know that that's a very that's a very special thing for Rockhurst to be able to have three different guys who can go off. But I think the story in this game really throughout and for UIS to be able to have a little bit staying in this game was Jack Weber was the man down low and he was able to outplay his opponent in Rich Byrie, who was guarding him the whole night, 23 points and six rebounds for Jack Weber, 10 of 14 from the floor. He's so good with his back to the basket. He's talented in, side and the hard thing is he's such a hard guy to scout because he's so good at passing if you want to come help and if you help too late he's scoring on single coverage if you come help he's passing if he if you help off the four he'll pass to the other block you help off a shooter he's passing it out and the weird part about UIS is one through four are all three-point shooters for the Prairie Stars on any given night they shoot 50% from three-point range in this game specifically and Weber well when he has single coverage he can turn baseline and score he can go middle with the hook and score I mean he's so good 
good down in the paint. He's one of the more talented scorers at the rim with the ball in his hands, especially on the low block back to the basket. So Weber really doing a great job. And then three other guys have a dozen points for UIS and they pick up a massive victory because the Prairie Stars knew that they probably had a lot riding on these two games this week after maybe as a surprise to some, they were quote unquote under consideration for an NCAA tournament berth. And well, they pick up a victory in this one and we'll talk about what they did on Saturday as well. Uh, But that was a massive victory for UIS at home on Thursday for sure. Yeah. And I know that's always an interesting one for coaches. They wonder, Hey, is is our team going to read those press clippings? Are they going to start feeling good about themselves? How do they handle a little bit of that pressure? And that's something that I think that this UIS team has shown some really great signs of all year long in those pressure moments. And this is a real credit to Matt Brock and in the team as a whole, but specifically the coaching, I think this is something that is a trickle down effect where, where you see his calm attitude in these late situations of games. This team does such a great job playing through the post in clutch situations. So often you hear, you know, hey, come March, you want to have that great guard play because that's who the ball is going to be in their hands. Well, UIS finds a way to get the ball in Jack Weber's hands late in the game, and he is always going to make that right decision, whether it be a good matchup down low. Tough to bring that double team when everybody else around the arc can hurt you on this UIS team. And we talked about it all year. That's how they get it done. That's how they did it in this one. They shoot 52% in the game, 50% from three and take down Rockhurst by a score of 73 to 64 at the track in that one. And then we get to this next game and Umsel just continues to be in, I don't know what else to call it at this point towards this end of the season, but a free fall making this three losses in a row on the road against Maryville. And we talk quite a bit about how tough this Maryville team is. Well, it, it's to four when you add the game on Saturday, but to this point through Thursday on the schedule, or excuse me, because they had only played the one game. That's that's a good point. Will Connerly all over that for me right here. But, you know, it was, it was kind of a sloppy first half in this one. Or I shouldn't say sloppy. It was just defensive-minded in the first half. 28 to 23 umsel on top but then maryville just explodes in the second half of this game and you know you consider that this is a a saints team that is down ari jackson and just how dominant this umsel team looked earlier in the year it, it almost felt unfathomable that you would have told us three weeks ago that maryville would be able to do in the second half what they do to umsel outscoring them 49 to 35 I mean, not only did they start the year 12 and 0, they started conference play 9 and 3. Now, they've lost 5 of their last 6 conference games. They've lost 4 in a row in this Maryville game, and the one win that they had in the last 5 games was a 32-point win against SBU. So, I mean, that's weird. You lose Five of six in your one win in the last six is a 32-point win against SBU. Your other win 
the last win you had before that was a win against William Jewell at William Jewell. So that's been interesting, but now they lose to Rockhurst, S&T, Drury, and then last Thursday they lose to Maryville. They didn't play this past Saturday, so now upcoming uh, this coming Thursday, they've had a week to marinate what is a four-game losing streak, but they welcome Uindy, who's the sixth-ranked team in the country, so it doesn't get any easier, and Umsel is in legit jeopardy of losing six of their last seven games if they can't pick up a victory against UND on Thursday. But in this game specifically, Maryville had a 49-point second half, and that was the difference in this game. Ben Palacios, one of the most improved players in this league, had 19 points, five field goals made. He knocked down six foul shots and had three threes, and he was a huge difference in this game. Umsel's a team that can get hot from shooting from outside they were just six for 20 from three-point range and two of 10 20 percent in the second half and that's what really hurt umsel who only shot 35.6 percent for the game meanwhile maryville they go seven of 12 from three-point range in the second half 58 percent they shoot 50 percent on the game from three-point range and i know that <laughs> you look at this game and you see a 72-63 win for Maryville. 49 second half points against a good Tritons defense. I mean, the Tritons have been falling apart as of late. I mean, you look at losing five of six and maybe six of seven this coming Thursday. This was their fourth one in a row. You wonder how they respond this coming Thursday, but really at the end of the day, I mean, it was Maryville who was up by 13 with less than a minute to go. And ultimately they win this game by nine points. So you got to give a lot of credit to Maryville. Ben Palacios has stepped up in, in, in a really big way uh, for the saints. And Trey red is a guy, 13 points who's been stepping up in limited minutes 19 minutes uh having some efficiency three for three from three-point range to help out Maryville but man that's a that's a good win for Maryville because it really kept their conference hopes alive because of um such strong start that was a win against a team that is going to finish at 500 or above in this league no matter what because they're at this point enough games above 500 even if they lose out they finish 10 and 10 in conference play so 500 or above so a massive win for Maryville to say the least yeah and when we were talking about all the success for this UMSL team earlier in the year you know incredibly efficient performances on the offensive end from Isaiah Fuller he's been a little bit inefficient here of late he went 5 of 16 shooting in this game still good at the free throw line getting it done there 5 of 6 but you know I mean we were getting used to seeing lines from him like 12 of 15 for 30 some points, you know, it, seven for 11 for for 24 points and then dishing out a lot of assists on top of it. Only three assists in this ball game. And I'll tell you who is the player that really kind of controlled the tempo of the game and, and was the playmaker of the game was Dwayne Vass yeah. for Maryville. 11 points, eight assists. And five rebounds brings a physical presence as well as that ball handling skill and passing ability as well. There's not much that Dwayne Vass can't can't do out there on the floor. And when you look at, 
you know, Dwayne Vass for 29 minutes and then Harrison Vickers coming off the bench, hitting three of four threes in his place. I mean, that that is some serious production on both ends of the floor for Maryville, and that helps them get the job done in that one, 72 to 63 over Umsel. So Umsel trying to fight that four-game losing streak, and then we move up to Southwest Baptist going on the road to take on Lewis and the Bearcats come away with the 10 point win in this one. Although it was Lewis that was leading at halftime, the Bearcats get big performances from the reigning GLVC player of the year, Quinn Nelson, RJ Crawford added another 18, but how about Aiden stone, a perfect stat line. He goes eight for eight from the floor, hits both of his free throws adds another eight rebounds for this team. I mean, goodness, we've seen some great things from Noah Franklin this year, but this was just a phenomenal performance from Aiden Stone in the win. It was, and this ultimately was SBU's fourth consecutive win, and they started to catch fire. They were another team as the week began last week under consideration for an NCAA tournament regional berth in the Midwest region, and so they knew going on the road at Lewis, well, there's no other result that we need than a win inside Neil Carey Arena. Aiden Stone really stepped up. R.J. Crawford really stepped up, and Quinn Nelson, he didn't step up. He just did, did what he normally does I mean he just was Quinn Nelson in this game he became SBU's all-time leading scorer you talk about the entire history of Southwest Baptist University no man has scored more points in their career than Quinn Nelson who is the reigning GLVC player of the year and who had 19 points in this game to become the all-time leader in scoring in SBU history I mean Talk about the defense for SBU in the second half. They only surrender 30 points to Lewis, outscore Lewis by 12 in the second half, pick up a 10-point victory. And that was really an amazing thing for Quinn Nelson. He only needed 13 points, and he's going to be a future Hall of Famer um, in SBU athletic history. You're the all-time leading scorer. You've scored nearly 1,800 points in your career. I mean, what an honor for him, uh, but a big-time performance from Aiden Stone coming from him eight of eight from the floor. I mean, you that you can't say much about that other than that's impressive because Nelson Crawford, you know, those are the guys you know are going to step up. If you have another guy who can step up and be effective off the bench, Aiden Stone really doing it at a high level and this SBU team uh, playing with a lot of confidence in that respect. Yeah, it was a big game from Jameer Hill, a young guy that Lewis has got to be excited about moving forward. That should be a great player to kind of build a foundation around. He had 19 big points in this one on eight of 14 shooting. He's also a a tremendous defender. One of the best two way players in this league, despite the struggles for Lewis this year. But I'll tell you what, Southwest Baptist starting to play some of their best ball at the right time as they pick up this win over Lewis and, What a career for Quinn Nelson going to go down as one of the greatest snipers in GLVC history and the number one scorer ever in Southwest Baptist history. And you really think about that in Quinn Nelson really impressive. Gano impressive Crawford impressive, but how about stone too? who, 
didn't start at the beginning of the year all that often. Now he started the last 12 games, and SBU started to figure it out then with him getting about 20 to 25 minutes a night and, and having some impressive performances. This one, the 19-point effort, well, that was his best of the season. He's a guy who just averages 3.8 points per game, but uh, to be able to now – he has 18 starts on the season. He started down the stretch most every game. So he's a guy who you'll look at and say, man, that's another guy you've really got to think about uh, because they have, that's the thing. When you have guys you have to think about uh, that, it's hard to have all that attention as a defender. Oh, we got to worry about Stone now. We already mentioned their big three. Noah Franklin's another guy you got to worry about. Drennan Dinkins is another guy you have to worry about. So it makes this team very difficult to defend and defending is what they do best and rebounding is what they do at such a high level every single night. They're plus on the glass against Lewis. That's hard to do uh, with all the big bodies that they have. So kudos to SBU in this game, picking up their fourth consecutive win uh, last Thursday, shooting the ball 52% from the floor in the game. You're going to win a lot of games doing that despite allowing Lewis to shoot 55% from three-point range. Absolutely. 78-68 Southwest Baptist on the road, getting the job done against Lewis. And then we move along to McKendry and Missouri S&T. And, you know, Missouri S&T, they broke the hearts of Umsel not long ago. Now they do it to the Bearcats. I mean, double-digit lead with six minutes left to go for McKendry in this one. A 17-3 run to end the game for the Miners. And, Will, you'd never guess who the catalyst was. Julian Smith hitting clutch shot after clutch shot, including the game winner with 11 seconds to go. Impressive. 17 to three, the final run. I mean, that's called closing out a game, getting the ball into Julian Smith's hands and letting him go to work. But this game was fantastic. It really asked for somebody to take over at the end. There was 19 lead changes in this game and it was tied 10 different times. You're talking about 29 times. It's either a team taking a lead or being tied in this game that's called an incredible college basketball game and then down the stretch it's Missouri S&T who is able uh, to come back and pick up a two-point win with a massive run at McKendry uh, it's really impressive and Lavelle Williams 17 points Julian Smith and Ikena Okiki each have 16 I mean man to come back after you feel like you're down for the count, what a much-needed win for Missouri S&T um, at McKendry. I know it probably broke your heart, Colin, 19 different lead changes, but what a what an effort. S&T, they kind of do what they do. We're going to win or lose with our starters. They only have two or four bench points in this game compared to McKendry having 32 points off their bench, uh, but it didn't matter because S&T starters just did enough uh, to be able to take over that game and close it out strong with that run um, and win by two. Yeah, of course, not the result that I was hoping for, but I did have the privilege of calling this game, and you said it best, Will. It was a phenomenal college basketball game back and forth the entire way until the Bearcats really started to assert themselves at about the midway point of the second half, took that huge lead, and then Missouri S&T with the comeback. And, of course, we talked about Julian Smith. Lavelle Williams was outstanding during that stretch, hit a couple of big shots. And, of course, Ikeno Kiki, what he can do down low. But what really stood out to me was on the sidelines for Missouri S&T. When this team fell down 
by double digits at about that seven, six minute mark left to go in the game. There was visible frustration out there in the body language of the players for Missouri S&T. And Darion Reddick kind of stepping up in place of Bill Walker has had some some things that have taken him away from the game. Uh, obviously, we wish him the best. But Darion Reddick showed some some tremendous leadership skills, I thought, in this game. Never lost his composure, was always focused on the task at hand, got his guys to just turn that page and, and get focused on the next possession, get focused on the next thing that they needed to go out there and execute. And that's exactly what his group did. They responded in a huge way to to his leadership. And, you know, I think I think the miners can be excited about what they have you know, as their entirety of a basketball staff and what Darion Reddick brings to the table. Yes. I mean, you talk about a team trying to rally playing without their head coach on the sideline. We've seen many GLVC teams have to do that. Um, I saw Quincy personally do it at the end of last year with an interim head coach. Sometimes it's on an interim basis. Sometimes it's a coach um, that's dealing with struggles off the court. Uh, But either way, that obviously is affecting a team. And to be able to pull out and rally a victory uh, um, without one of the more experienced guys in this league, a guy who's coached at multiple GLVC institutions, I mean, that's very, very impressive and it's a story to say the least in that regard for an ST team um that has those pieces that that make you think about how good they could be yeah and it's it's unfortunate when you look at the other side of the coin for McKendry because it, you know they do so many good things in this game they shoot 49 percent from the field they knock down nine threes hit them at a 38 percent clip they do a nice job on the glass they out rebound Missouri ST but, you know, the turnovers just continue to be a major, major problem for this McKendry team. They commit 18 turnovers to just nine for Missouri S&T. And you think about it in terms of that's nine times that you don't get to score and nine extra times that your opponent has a chance to score. And needless to say, that had a huge impact in the outcome of this game. Points on turnover off of turnovers plus 15 for Missouri S&T in this game, 21 to six. So the Bearcats, you know, in retrospect, looking at that game and many others on their schedule and saying, gosh, if we could just get this, this turnover issue cleared up a little bit here, you know, the potential is limitless, but Missouri S&T got to give them a ton of credit for taking advantage, forcing those turnovers and then hitting the shots in clutch time to come up with the 70 to 68 win on the road over McKendry in that one. And then our final game from the Thursday slate, William Jewell 66 to 53 over Quincy. And this one was played in Pepsi arena, William Jewell team that, you know, with this win, they had moved to 11 and seven in conference play, starting to really see that experience. And and that's what really helps in road games. They put together quite the defensive performance in this one. Yeah, nobody in this league has more road wins than William Jewell than you, Indy. Um, so you talk about Jewel being a good team at the road, just being a good team this year, sitting at second in the league and overall defensively, um, they made it a challenge, uh, for Quincy to say the least, um, especially in the second half of this game. I mean, 53 points is all you scored. If you're the Quincy university Hawks, that's the second time this season in a GLVC game that Quincy has scored 53 points. They lost 88 to 53 earlier this year against UI. 
UIS at UIS. They lose 66 to 53 against William Jewell at home. Two times when you only score 53 points. I mean, at the end of the day, they've had some performances offensively that have really made you question um, what this team can do with the basketball in their hands. I mean, they had a game earlier this year at McKendry when they only scored 62 points, albeit they lost the game by four uh, when you're you consistently put out performances shooting below 40 percent it's very very hard uh, to win games in this William Jewell game they only shot 32 percent as a team in this game and, and you've seen that they like the McKendry game that we were calling together Quincy was one of 15 from three-point range they've had a three of 21 effort from three-point range in, in this year so there's just been some efforts where you're really questioning what they're able to do from outside Illinois Springfield earlier this year, two of 14. But specifically, if we get back to focusing on this game, Quincy was again, four of 18 from three point range, just 22%. And again, 53 points. That's the second fewest points that a GOVC team has scored this season. Quincy has scored 53 twice. The only team that has scored fewer points than that is SBU a few weeks ago when they lost to Umsel by 32 and only scored 50. So you you know that that was a strikingly rough offensive performance, especially in the second half. I mean, at the end of the day, Teams went into the locker room and William Jewell was leading 32 to 30. It was a two point lead for Jewell in the second half, but William Jewell score at halftime, but William Jewell's holds Quincy to 23 points in the second half. Quincy was really rough offensively in the second half. They only shot the ball at a 24% clip in the second half, and they were 0 of 8 from three-point range in the second half. So that's not going to win you very many games when you shoot 23% in the second half and 32% for the game. Uh, But you got to give a lot of credit uh, to William Jewell. Quincy didn't have a guy scoring double figures in this game. It was their two big guys, Solomon Gustafson and Mason Weak, who who tried. I mean, they, they were the guys who they got the ball to consistently, but inside they just missed so many layups. That was it. I mean, I think that had great defense, but from my vantage point, it was just Quincy missing a ton of layups. Like you had big guys, you know, we act three of 13 from the floor offensive rebounds, just that wouldn't go back in layups that wouldn't go in. And William Jewell, ultimately um, the Quincy killer, Mason Alexander had 16 points to pace William Jewell. I mean, he's had his best games consistently in his career against the Hawks. Um, He hit his first three shots. He had nine points a few minutes into the game. And I thought it was going to be a long night. Ultimately Quincy (laughs) um, was able to actually defend him really well after that. And Quincy's defense wasn't the problem in this game. It was that, they scored 53 points and ultimately you got to give credit to William Jewell. I, I was going to say, we almost sound like broken records talking about the teams that we call games for on this Thursday, because you look at what Quincy did in this game and they really did a lot of good things. You consider how great a rebounding team William Jewell is. You out rebound them 37 to 32. How about this on the offensive glass 12 to three in favor of Quincy against a team that prides themselves on their physicality. You shut down Jordan Germain to two of 10 shooting from the field. He only scores seven points in the game. Harry Shioyo wasn't a, a crazy factor. 8.6 rebounds for him in the game. And, you know, it really comes down to that offensive production for Quincy and, 
you know, you call the game so you would know better than I. I guess the question that I would ask as an outsider looking in to this Quincy program is how, how are how is Paul Zelinskis not finding more shots within this offense? And you look at that deficiency for this Hawks team being from the three point line. And, and that would be your guy to solve it. And I know that that opposing teams are also probably circling Paul Zelinskis as saying, hey, if we can just take this guy away from the outside, then we feel pretty good about packing things down in the paint and getting the job done. But, you know, back to that question, how how does this team get Paul Zelinskis a little bit more involved? I think that that was the question that Quincy had going into Saturday, although it was senior day, and we'll get to that in a moment. I think that they started their four seniors and they kind of benched some of the guys just to give them a little bit of a wake up call. They ultimately came in and played, but I think that that is the question. How do you get him more looks? He was on the court for 21 minutes and just had five shots um, in this game. And you know that him and Malik Harmon are your two most talented offensive players that can put the ball in the hole. Neither of them have double digit games really in this game it would have been a blowout um it first half if it weren't for Quincy's bench because Quincy trailed by two at halftime uh but their bench scored 22 points in the first half all but eight points were scored by their bench in the first half Quincy at the beginning stages of this game it was William Jewell who really felt like they were dominating Quincy puts out their second group and Eventually, Mason Wiak and Isaiah Foster and Orlando Thomas start to make plays to get it to what it is at halftime, a two-point deficit. But you had the bench score do most of the work. They had 22 points in the first half, but the bench just finished with 27 points, and it just wasn't enough. Uh, that starting five and that group offensively just struggled, and that's going to be the question because you know that they're capable guys offensively on this team. Paul Zelinskis and Malik Hartman, both very capable of putting up 20 points in a game, uh, any GLBC game, any day of the week. But um, the offensive struggles and this team, people know they're not a great shooting team. They're a team that they're going to get extra opportunities by turning you over, by getting offensive rebounds. And, and that when that's not working for you, um, well, well, it hurts. It, it really does. And I know that they, they struggled in that respect and they just try to get back to it because there were just a lot of missed shots and a lot of houses built with the amount of bricks they had in the second half of that one. Um, but you move on and you do what Steve Hawkins says best is move on to the next possession. Although, and I think that they try to get a wake up call and try to understand how can we get the ball into the hands of our playmakers? Cause scoring the ball has got to be our main focus right now. It was William Jewell 66 to 53 over Quincy in that one, but not all bad news for Quincy because as we jump to Saturday for continuity's sake, we'll talk about that Hawks game that they had against Truman State. 83 points for Quincy yeah. in this one in an 83 to 75 win, including a second half explosion of 47 <laughs> points from this Quincy team. Almost matched the total from their Thursday game in the second half of their game on Saturday against Truman State. And no surprise to see Malik Hardman leading the charge. But I'll tell you what, that bench again was a huge factor in this game. The bench has to be big for Quincy. I mean, when you look at what they could do, they had 41, 41 points off the bench in this game. And I get it. They started uh, two guys. They don't typically start in JJ Schwetker and Adam Price, but still your top two scores were your starters. 
in Malik Hardman scoring 23, Jamari Coakley scoring 13, and you still had 41 points off your bench in this game. You scored 53 the other night, and you have 41 off your bench in this game. And also, you score 47 as a team in the second half, like you mentioned, not too far off their total output uh, from the game before on Thursday. But I think that this game was interesting because Quincy never really felt like they were on the ropes. Like Truman came close a few times, um, in the second half, but they never fully took advantage of the lead and really made it where it was a back and forth affair with Quincy uh, having the 36 31 lead at halftime. They just did enough. They made enough plays. I mean, there was a stretch in the second half when both teams made eight of nine shots. So they were just trading bucket for bucket for bucket for bucket. Truman then got close though, because they started to make some, a couple threes in the second half. They went six of 14 and overall they made 11 threes in this game, but six of 14 in the second half and Trey Scherer had four threes in this game. So that kind of caused some concern for Quincy, uh, but they ultimately just did enough uh, to be able to take advantage of Truman. They outscore him by 22 points in the paint. And that's been one thing for Truman this year. They've been struggled to slow down teams who just want to relentlessly pound it inside at will. Absolutely. And, you know, another big factor when I look at this game is, holding Elijah Hayes camp to eight points in the game, a guy who averages 15 a game, but we've seen, you know, more than capable of going off for 20 plus 25 or more around that 30 point mark. He's been hovering quite a few games. I mean, you go back to the Illinois Springfield game just a few games ago, he dropped 29 and that was a string of three consecutive games over 20 plus points. He's had three or excuse me, two different stretches where he's done that this year. And, you know, it, it is a league of, you, you know, the margins are so close. If if your best player, Malik Hardman, has a great game and your opponent's best player is really held down, it's just tough to overcome that. It is. Hardman did did work. I mean, he must love playing against Truman. He had a 20-plus point game against Truman to begin the year when Quincy was playing well. I think kind of an X factor for this team, although Malik Hardman's not a guy, he's, he, he can be at times respectable from three-point range. If he can make a three, it just helps this team so much. It feels like when he hits a three, this team plays better. Um, it just gives him confidence to see more things go in because typically he's going to have a mid-range game or under the hoop with the offensive rebounds. But with 23 points, nine rebounds on his final game of his career in Pepsi Arena, then Jamari Coakley, 13.7 rebounds, and he made his final four foul shots to kind of close out the game down the stretch. Two nice games for those seniors on senior day to be able to close it out. Yeah, big win there for Quincy. Much needed win trying to secure that spot in the points rating system, which, by the way, we've got a separate conversation with Tyler Madsen about all of that that we are excited to bring to all of you and should help provide some insight on where everything stands as we go go through some more of these recaps on Saturday. Again, that was 83-75 Quincy with the win at home over Truman State. UND stays hot, 86-79. to They pick up the win at home against Southwest Baptist. Bearcats really gave them a run for their money in this game. It had nine different lead changes in the game, and Southwest Baptist got big performances from Quinn Nelson. Drennan Dinkins came off the bench and had a huge game, 16 points on just four of five shooting from the floor. He was outstanding. Mitch Ganote almost had a triple-double in this game. 
But once again, I mean, what can you say about Kendrick Choa? Again, the improvement from the free throw line, making a huge difference. Difference. He goes 5 of 7 from the floor, ends up one rebound shy of a double-double with 19 points, 9 of 14 from the free throw line, making a huge difference. And, you know, Jacoby Robinson was absolutely outstanding for UND in a game where Bingham struggled a little bit shooting the basketball from the floor. The depth of this team really shows and, and you know, their ability to have multiple different guys step up. One of your star players has a rough offensive night in a team that's known for their defense puts up 86 points in the win. Yeah, Kendrick Choa, 19 points, like you mentioned, in only 22 minutes. He was limited in this game because of foul trouble. That's impressive, impressive to say the least. And when you're a star player, you know he's going to get 10 to 15 shots a night. Jesse Bingham took 16 of them. He didn't have a great game. 12 points, though, for his standards, for the standard of likely GLVC player of the year in Jesse Bingham. So you look at that and you say, okay, well, Jacoby Robinson, he had 16 points and he only took five shots um, in this game. So that's something where you're like, well, that's ultra effective. That's ultra efficient. And you, Wendy, uh, just d- does a number. They do a great job in this game, uh, being able to fend off SBU, doing enough in both the first and second half uh, to try to get the victory over a really good SBU team. UND has the advantage on the glass in this game, plus eight, something SBU is known to do uh, to every team. But it was UND who was really good on the glass. They were physical in their home gym. And although Quinn Nelson had 20 points, it just wasn't enough for SBU as they saw their four-game win streak come to an end. Inside Nickerson Hall, as many win streaks will come to an end inside Nickerson Hall when you're a team uh, that has now won 18 consecutive games games matching what is a program record um, for UND and they're only two wins shy of the all-time program record and you go out on a limb to say with two games remaining in the GLVC tournament and the NCAA tournament they have a good opportunity to set a new single season mark in terms of wins and when you have Choa, Robinson, Bingham, Tynes, Jarvis Walker, Bruno Williams like they're a deep team it showed in this game and you, you gotta just tip your hat to you Indy. The biggest stat for me, though, in this game is that the University of Indianapolis was getting to the foul line at such a high rate. They shot 41. They had 41 foul shot attempts, 41 foul shot attempts compared to just SBU. They had 25. They made 17 foul shots. You Indy made 27 foul shots so they score 10 more points at the line but that's a lot of foul shots in this game I mean SBU shot 25 and UND shot 41 there's a lot of foul shot attempts that was probably a very long game uh, that happened inside Nickerson Hall on Saturday but 86-79 UND's able to win this game now, you look at the Greyhounds. They've been tested as of late. Quincy gave them a run for their money. William Jewell gave them a run for their money. SBU gave them a run for their money as of late. Recently, even Truman State, if you go a few weeks back, gave them a run for their money. But maybe this is even going to help you, Indy, as you get into tournament and NCAA tournament time. Yeah, you can give us a run, but we're going to be better uh, down the stretch, and that's what they've done. 18 in a row, that confidence has to be at an all-time high. At this point, 86 to 79, they win it over Southwest Baptist. And then we move along to Illinois Springfield and William Jewell. Another game that kind of had that feel of something's got to give a couple of hot teams coming into this one. And 
I'll tell you what, the Prairie Stars have not been given a whole lot at the track this year. They win again at home, 73-65 over William Jewell in this one. And, you know, we just can't say enough about what Jack Weber is doing. He is playing his best ball at the right team at the right time for this team. Another 22 points to go along with seven rebounds. And the team, again, 50% from the three-point line, that Jack Weber and three-point combination just outstanding for this team. It is. It really is outstanding. I mean, it's so impressive to see. You look at UYS at home this year, they're 12-1 and one at home. And the one loss to you, Indy. And the one loss to you, Indy, they were leading with two and a half minutes to go in that game against UND, another team that has given UND a run for their money is UIS at the track center. 12-1 at home now after they pick up a 73-65 to win over William Jewell. William Jewell knew this is a massive game for us. They both won games the day before or the game before on Thursday. They were both teams toward the top half of the GLVC. UIS was a team being under consideration for an NCAA tournament berth. This week, they won both games this past week against Rockhurst and William Jewell, two teams in the top half of the GLVC, and they get both of them our victories, both of them coming at home. And that's really, really, really big for UIS because under consideration, well, you're going to have to keep considering UIS after they were already being considered, and they pick up two wins against two quality opponents, and Rockhurst and William Jewell, two teams inside what is the top four in the Great Lakes Valley Conference, and that was a massive win against a Jewell team that was hungry because they know, hey, four teams being considered in the GLVC, we're not one of them, and we're second in the league. We know this could be a massive opportunity for us over at the track center but Jack Weber, another 22-point effort in this game, coming off a 23-point game on Thursday. He's had back-to-back massive games. He goes 10 of 16 from the floor. UIS is able to knock down the threes, shooting them at 50% in this game. And overall, it was just another, like you said, four out, one in. We want to go to Weber. We're going to have it our way. We're going to take the three. We're going to have it our way. You kind of have to pick your poison against UIS, and they're both very poisonous things for Matt Brock's team. And in this game, William Jewell, you look at what they did, 5 of 15 from three-point range, 33%. That's the one thing you think, okay, Jewell, maybe a few more threes in this game and we would have been better. Uh, But you think about a physical team, William Jewell limited to just three offensive rebounds. So that's a really striking number in that respect. And UIS's ball pressure was so good that it only allowed Jewell to have six assists as a team in this game. Kobe McKinley was the big star offensively for Jewel with 20 points. But, I mean, you look at Jack Weber leading the way. Cooner, again, from three-point range, three of seven from outside. He's been one of the best three-point shooters in the GLVC. And you see UIS is able to pick up the victory um, after they had the 39-31 to lead in the first half. The teams played even in the second half. And the Prairie Stars, <laughs> they, they head into the final week of the regular season with a lot of confidence. And I'm looking forward to seeing Wednesday where the Prairie Stars are going to be looked at now being 17 and nine overall and now 11 and seven 
in Great Lakes Valley Conference play. So they're three wins shy of 20 on the season. Um, and you look at that, they've won over 60% of their Great Lakes Valley Conference games. They're at Drury and at SBU to finish the year. But man, Colin, you talk about a team that was maybe questioning any of the doubt that they had. Well, I think it was answered getting wins against Rockhurst and William Jewell, too. Again, very good teams. Yeah, that resume is starting to really shape up nice for Illinois Springfield. And again, back to that that point that I made about, you know, which team star is, is really performing in the game. You get a huge game from Jack Weber and, and Illinois Springfield is able to hold down uh, Jordan Germain in this game. He was inefficient. And they almost took Mason Alexander out of the game completely in this one. Went one for 10 shooting against the Prairie mm-hmm. Stars defense in a 73 to 65 win at the track for the Prairie Stars. And then we move along to Lewis and Rockhurst. And, you know, this is really a huge win for Rockhurst on the road against a Lewis team that, again, a little bit similar to Drury when you look at their overall record in GLVC play, but you look at the way that these games are being played, you know, it's not as if the Flyers are getting blown out on a regular basis You know, in the GLVC, they're putting together some really tough performances. But I'll tell you what, it was the freshman just taking over for Rockhurst in this one. Tamaris Brown has a double-double with 24 and 11. He goes 9 of 12 from the field, makes all of his three three three-point attempts. I mean, this was kind of an example of a guy putting the team on his back. It is, and it has been this season for Rockhurst at times. You know Tamaris Brown has that ability. We saw it as we've detailed throughout the progress of this season uh, when Tamaris Brown did such when Rich Byrie was out for a couple games, and Rockhurst is able to get a win, although by a slim margin. They win by three points in Romeoville. It's a win nonetheless, and Rockhurst certainly needed that victory as you look at of course what's shaping up with the PRS and speaking of that um, after this we might as well just run down uh, the table of the PRS because it is gets freaky how close all these teams are uh, Colin as we look ahead to the final two games but you, you look at Rockers I mean at the end of the day you're looking for answers offensively well Tamaris Brown can give them to you 24 and 11 in this game I mean that's that's something that's impressive and Lewis you got to give him credit uh, for playing extremely hard and making things difficult for Rockhurst. There was no cupcake in this game, uh, to say the least, but I thought it was interesting Well, when you look at how closely contested this game was. Um, Lewis, you know, they, they're kind of making it tough for teams. It wasn't um, until Kaku Shadzi made two foul shots with one second left to go up by two and then three after Jameer Hill hit two foul shots with 38 seconds left to make it a one point game. So it was a one point game with 30 seconds left. And ultimately the foul shots were knocked down by Rockers to win the game with a second left. But I mean, at the end of the day, that's, 
That's an impressive, close, thrilling finish. Jameer Hill missed a jumper in the paint with three seconds left, which would have given Lewis the lead. They were down by one at the time. So you really say, hey, Lewis had a chance to win at the buzzer against Rockhurst. So you have to give them credit in that respect. But Neil Carey Arena, um, it's not an easy place to play. Despite you, you remember Lewis last year, they were second in the Great Lakes Valley Conference. Right now, they're last. I get it. But still, a three-point win for Rockhurst. It's it's an impressive thing to say the least. And you look at Rockhurst now and you got to start thinking about what type of conversations are going to be had around them. They're not an easy matchup to Maris Brown, Kaku Shadzi and Byrie. And there's a reason why they're fourth in the GLVC right now. Yeah, no question. They've got some impressive wins on their resume and they have proven to be an extremely tough team. They get a tough road win against Lewis 69 to 66 in that one. And then, we move along to McKendry playing host to Drury. And this was a matchup where, you know, it was great. You know, we talked a little bit about Bill Walker earlier. Chris Foster was at this game and coaching for Drury. So a little bit of a reunion with his former uh, coach on his staff, George Suggs, who is now the head coach for McKendry. And the Bearcats finally get it done. Drury had had their number in in recent series history here but the bearcats pick up a 79 to 64 win and you know it was a, a pretty complete game from this McKendry team and that example of look if this team just at least doesn't go minus five or more in the turnover category an example of what they're capable of they were still minus one in the turnover column, but they out-rebound Drury by 11. They've been a good rebounding team all year long. They continue to shoot the ball at an extremely high rate, 54% for the game, 43% from the three-point line. And I know that, that you might look at it and say, okay, well, Drury isn't necessarily the class of this league this year, but still a performance from McKendry that, you know, this time of year, when you kind of put it all together in a game like they did like this one against Drury, it, it might be that that kind of turner cor or corner turning win, you know, when you look at it in terms of, hey, we are capable of, of having a game like this. And if we play like this, we can push anyone in this conference. And what they can do is they can grab any ball that comes off the rim. I mean, McKendry rebounding in this game was a big story. 36 to 25. They're plus 11 on the glass against Drury. In that respect, I think that was huge. You had three different guys from McKendry grab seven or more rebounds. Luke Hensler, Caleb Zerlini, and Bryce Boltman all get seven boards. And then you have, again, the scoring. Being there for McKendry, three players with 15 or more points as well, with Powell leading the way, hitting three threes. Bryce hit three threes as well, and Milos had 15 points in this game. So overall, uh, McKendry had enough to just throw their way at Drury and get the victory. I'll tell you what, Milos Vicentich is an absolute treasure. He had those 15 points in 11 minutes of play on the floor. The guy is an absolute walking bucket when he touches the hardwood. Eric Powell had an outstanding two-way game. Not only did he score those 20 points to lead all scorers in the game, but he also shut down Logan Applegate, who has been the leading scorer for Drury this year. Applegate went one for nine with three points, and Powell was stuck to him like a glove 
all game long. Bryce Boltman, you know, he had that great quarterbacking performance that he typically does. And when Boltman puts up a line like 16.7 rebounds, nine assists to just one turnover, it's hard to see anyone beating this McKendry team. You got to find a way to to heat up Boltman a little bit. And Drury was just unable to do it in this one. The the McKendry Bearcats take it by a score of 79 to 64. And our final recap game to get to this one was the big stunner of Saturday for me to see oh, yeah. Maryville just absolutely blow out a Missouri S and T team that has been playing some excellent basketball of late. 78 to 42. Will, this is the number one scoring team in the conference in Missouri S&T. They averaged nearly twice the amount of points that they scored in this one. They averaged 81 points a game this year. That's tops in the league. And Maryville completely shut them down in this game. They hold S&T to 35% shooting in the game. Meanwhile, the Saints shoot 48% from the field, but they shot 49% from three, but the volume is what was absolutely off the charts in this one. 17 made three-pointers for Maryville in the win. That's how you blow a team out. I mean, that's the only way you can in, in this respect. The big thing for me, the volume of shots that Maryville took, they took 59 shots. Missouri S&T took 52. Some of it, Maryville had more opportunities to shoot the basketball. They made much more shots at 47% compared to 34 overall from the floor. And then Missouri S&T, you think, okay, they can hang with that. They're a good three-point shooting team. Well, in this game, they just shot four of 17 from three-point range, 23.5%. Wow. <laughs> I'll take that any day of the week. 17 of 35 from outside. Not only that, they went 11 of 18 from three-point range, the Saints of Maryville did in the second half. I'll take that for a game. I mean, for Quincy sometimes, you'd say that's two, three, four games worth of threes right there in the second half alone. They go 11 of 18 from three-point range, 17 of 35. That's still 49% from outside. I mean, that's unbelievable. They were able to get 35 of their 59 shots were from three-point range, and they made 49% of them. Seven teammate threes is how you blow out a team, and that is exactly what Maryville did in this game. Ben Palacios had six threes. Jaden Smith had five threes. Harrison Vickers had five threes. I mean, you talk about that. I mean, 21 threes nearly attempted by your top three guys you'll take that any any day of the week and they those are the guys who are able to knock down all the threes for them 16 of the made threes came from three players and Palacios Smith and Vickers they combined to make 16 threes they have four guys with 14 or more points with Dwayne Bass adding 14 Vickers and Smith had 15 Palacios a massive game he's leading the Saints again with 25 points again you love to see how improved he's been this year for Maryville. And they really hold down such a good offense in S&T. But S&T turned the ball over 20 times in this game. Maryville coughed it up 17 times. So it's not like Maryville was able to at least have that big of a margin in terms of scoring off the turnovers. But they did hit 17 threes. And that will blow any team out in this league any day of the week. But the striking thing is that 21 points in each half for S&T. That is uh, striking because they're a team that scores the ball at such a high level. Yeah, really an unbelievable uh, result in this one. 
those 25 points for Ben Palacios, a new career high for him. The 17 made threes for Maryville in this game. Third most, tied for the third most ever in school history. And Dwayne Vass set a new D2 single season record for assists in a single season in this game. So some really good marks being set by Maryville, kind of an example of how successful their season has been this year. So as we've recapped everything and we kind of get to that natural breaking point before we move ahead to an all-important final week of games, we want to run through the points rating system standings, which will determine the positioning in the GLVC tournament. And a reminder to also make sure you check out our conversation with Tyler Madsen on this subject. But no surprise to see you, Indy, way ahead of the pack in first, 4.39. William Jewell, second at 3.58. Illinois Springfield, 3.44 in third. Here's where things are really jumbled up from about three all the way down to 10 outside of the standings. So 3.444, Illinois Springfield in third, Rockhurst in fourth, 0.08 behind them, 3.36. Southwest Baptist at 3.33 is in fifth. There's a tie for sixth place between Umsel and Quincy at 3.31. Maryville holding on to the last spot that will get you into the GLVC tournament at 3.21 Missouri S&T the first team on the outside looking in in ninth 3.19 and McKendry right behind them at 3.14 Truman State very much still in things at 3.00 in 11th and Drury and Lewis look like they have an extremely uphill battle 2.47 and 2.28 for Drury and Lewis respectively so that's a look at the big picture there Will. Yeah, it is. And I think that when you look at it overall, the most jumbled up thing is going to be anywhere from two through about 11. Anything could change um, through two through 11. You think one is locked up and you think that 12 and 13 is locked up um, between Indy being one, Drury being 12, Lewis being 13. But other than that, 12 through 11 is very jumbled up. I mean, William Jewell is at second right now and we were speaking with Tyler about it. They could finish as low as eighth. They could finish as high as second. So um, there's a lot to be had uh, for these final two games of the regular season. I can't wait to talk about them briefly now as we just give you guys a little bit of a synopsis of what to watch for. And just a reminder, every single game means something because of the fact that not many teams are at least scheduled um, in terms of bracketed in their win percentage that's a new feature that they've added this year on the website but there are teams right now that still could move in a bracket because for those that don't understand um it's either 250 500 or 750 um in terms of the win percentage either above or below those marks and that's how you get allocated points while there's still plenty of teams that you don't know what allocation you're going to get for them yet S&T Maryville McKendry Drury Rockhurst I mean those are all teams that you don't know where they're going to be yet now there are some that are locked up like UND you know they're going to be 750 plus Jewel Umsel Truman Quincy SBU but it's going to be interesting to see uh moving forward what is some 
some of those results mean and how the points are going to be allocated because of that. A lot of stuff that can change. I've never seen with two games left uh, the fact that you might have the second place team drop all the way to eighth. You might have the 10th place team move up to seventh. Like you have so many things that could change. And that's why I'm so excited to just see and, and talk about some of these matchups because it's crucial for every team right now uh, down the stretch with uh, nearly every team having some something to play for uh, to get into the tournament at this point. Yeah, and just to elaborate a little bit on what Will is talking about, for example, coming up on Saturday, Lewis and Drury play each other. So those are those two teams at the bottom of the standings that you don't expect to factor into the top eight, but they will affect what happens with the top eight, considering that, you know, if Drury picks up a couple of wins coming up this weekend, you know, and they move over that 250 mark, it retroactively changes your points, folks. Not only for that game that you that you played in that moment that changed the standings, every team that you played before, every game that everyone else played against Drury, now their points change yes. for that result against Drury. And that's why so much flux it, it really is possible with the way the standing system works. Exactly. And that's why William Jewell at second right now, they've beaten two teams that are right now six-point wins, uh, but they could move down a point or a point and a half with those wins if the teams that they beat earlier in the year move below 500 toward the end of the year. And the same thing with Drury. For example, uh, for teams that have gone and beat Drury on the road this year, like Quincy, you're probably cheering for Drury to, to move and get a win. So you get another point uh, for them being a 250 plus team rather than a sub 250 team because you have to get to that five win mark five divided by 20 250 uh that's what you have to get to to be above that 250 category so that's what's interesting about it it's very fluid and uh, it's gonna every game affects everything really at this point there's only a few teams that are locked up where you know at least what the points are going to be for that game for the rest of the year so the first game that we're going to talk about coming up on Thursday is one where the teams are locked in where they're at. Quincy and Southwest Baptist are both 10-8 and eight in the conference. So even with two losses to end the year, both of these teams would be at that 500 mark still. And so you look at the, the potential for points here for Quincy on the road against Southwest Baptist, a huge opportunity but an SBU team that's been tough to beat at home and a team that's playing really good basketball like we've talked about down the stretch. Yeah, SBU's looking at it. Hey, we still have a shot to be second because we play Quincy and UIS, two teams who are guaranteed going to be plus 500 to end the year no matter what. Quincy looks at it in this respect. We might be able to go on the road and get a win against an above 500 team. That could potentially could give us six points. So now you look at that and say, well, there's a motivating factor for both teams in that regard. And also, if Quincy is able to beat SBU and there were to be a tie, well, it would both teams able to win at their respective well SBU won at on the road Quincy won on the road that would cancel out and you move to the next tiebreaker which is how did you do against you Indy well Quincy was able to beat them at least once this year so I think that might help 
the Hawks in terms and Rockhurst, the only two teams to beat them this year in terms of the tiebreakers. But this matchup is going to be big. I know that it was a interesting game the first time that SBU it was a nail biter down to the wire the first time these two teams met came down to a missed foul shot at the end trying to put it back up and Quincy just wasn't able uh, to get it off and they ultimately lost the game but that's going to be a massive matchup on Thursday night in Bolivar, Missouri no question about it for both teams Uh, they want to get better seeds I mean both teams still have a chance to be inside the top four Uh, so this is going to be a good old-fashioned matchup and it might it might be a matchup where you might see these two teams play a week from now in the GLVC tournament again that's this seems like it could be a four or five type game uh between these two teams again so that would be interesting to say the least as well yeah there's no question we could see those two these two teams matched up with one another four five three six a lot of different possibilities the way that things shake out and SBU has just been red hot in in Bolivar of late they have not lost at home since the turn of the calendar their last home loss came December 10th against Truman State, which seems like almost forever ago. So really good basketball here lately for Southwest Baptist. They just had a four-game winning streak snapped on the road against the number six team in the nation. But Quincy, with that potential for points, should be awfully motivated going into that one. And then we look at Illinois Springfield traveling to Springfield, Missouri to take on Drury, And, you know, another example of a team that's playing great basketball right now in Illinois Springfield, you know, you can't take any road game for granted in this conference, but you have to think without Adam Moore, big advantage for Illinois Springfield down low. Yeah, you see what Jack Weber has done in the last two games, 22 and then 23 points in the in the last two. He's been able to go off. You expect him to have a big night against Drury, who struggled. You look at the field day that Kendrick Choa just had. Jack Weber's in that similar class of one of the more outstanding post players in this league, and I really expect him to have a big-time game. UIS, uh, a team that, um, you, for, for UIS's sake, they hope they can win at Drury, and then they hope Drury uh, can beat Lewis uh, to end the year so they they at least get those uh, four and a half points on the, for a road win um, at Drury to move into that 250 bracket. So that's potential uh, for the stars of the Prairie, but uh, they have a lot of really good players. And I think that you, you have to wonder how Drury is going to come out. How do they want to play spoiler? Uh, do they, that's going to be a factor, although they don't have a chance to make the tournament. Maybe they can ruin somebody else's chances to get a good seed. Yeah, you would think knowing what's on the line that Illinois Springfield is going to have no problem coming out motivated, but you just wonder just maybe with a dominant 81 to 58 win earlier in the year, maybe a little bit of overconfidence, maybe thinking, hey, they they don't even have Adam Moore, maybe Drury could sneak up hit some three-point shots, but you have to think that that's probably the only way that the Panthers are able to hang with UIS in this game. Even at home, you know, you consider how good UIS is playing right now. It just seems like a tall task. It does, and UIS, they're a team that's probably, again, they were considered last week for the regional, and then they won two games. So they're going to be coming off the news Wednesday of where they're at at the regional rankings. That's going to be more motivation. Hey, can we end the year winning a couple games? We have two games on the road to win- end the year. People think we're just good at home. Let's end that silence now. Let's go get some roadkill for the last two games of the year. No question. So Drury playing host to Illinois Springfield coming up on Thursday. Another Thursday night game, 
Rockhurst playing host to Truman State. And Rockhurst, as as things stand, at 9 and 9 at 500. So could fall below that mark should they lose this game against Truman State, which would change a lot of things for other teams in the standings. Earlier in the year, Rockhurst was able to get a big road win against Truman State, dropped 88 points in the game. That was kind of the Tamaris Brown coming out party, 30 points, 16 rebounds in that game against Truman State. He just had a phenomenal game his last time out as well. Does it does it shape up to be another Tamaris Brown game here for Truman State, I think is what Rockhurst fans are thinking. Rockers really, I mean, when you look at that game without Rich Byrie against Truman State, you were like, okay, Rockers, they might be, they might struggle in Kirksville. It was everything but Rockers was able to get the victory. And now uh, you flip the script and, and and you think about trying to pick up a victory against Truman for Rockers team that not only was picked last, finished second to last in the league last year. And now they've got the options and they've got the ability down the stretch to do some good things. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you to pick up some points here to end the year for Rockers. No question about it. They'll try to get it done at home against Truman State. Then we move along to Missouri S&T, the Miners, playing at home against Lewis. And this is one of those where you just hope that you don't have a hangover from that sour taste last time out against Maryville. Again, you have to think that this time of year, the motivating factors, especially for a team like Missouri S&T, trying to at least get themselves into the GLVC tournament where they can hopefully try to make a run, that they would be motivated to play some great ball. Again, another team that's played really well at home this year, 9-3 and three in Rolla this year for Missouri S&T. So you have to think that, you know, at least from that standpoint, things shape up well for them to bounce back against Lewis. You want them to because S&T has been a fun story this year with fun talent, fun players, good offensive firepower, and, and how they respond after losing, nearly getting doubled up on against Maryville on Saturday. They should recognize, they should know that, hey, we're ninth right now in the GLVC points rating system standings. We know the top eight get it, but can we finish strong? Because if they get a win against Lewis, I'll tell you what, there's a lot riding on their game Saturday against UIndy because that would be six and a half points for a victory. UIndy, you never know what motivation there is. You know Corsaro is going to have them ready, but I mean, to know that S&T, if they win two, you think it's guaranteed they get in the tournament because six and a half from UIndy would just be so substantial. Even a UIndy loss is better than, you know, playing a team that's really not up there like a Lewis in terms of win percentage but they know that they just have to they can't worry about that they just have to worry about hey let's get a victory thursday and then friday we'll see what we need to do if it's a winner we're in or when or we need help but s&t still right on the precipice of making the glvc tournament uh they've got they need a big game from Lavelle Williams, Julian Smith, Ikenna Okiki, and Caden Froby. Those four guys just have to step up and say, we want to showcase what we can do on the biggest stage in this conference, which is at Lindenwood. We know we have to play well these final two games to do it. Lewis is going to be no easy task, but with Lewis already having their season, at least knowing that they're not going to be in the postseason, it's the same question as Drury. How do they come out? And we'll find out on Thursday in that game. 
Yeah, of course, uh, Missouri S&T has that big four that they can lean on. But I'll tell you what, the the St. Louis kid, Andrew Young, Marquette High School alumni, has really been showing some things as the years moved along. They've really gotten a big boost from him and will look for the same as they host Lewis on Thursday night. And then we move along to a team in the UMSL Tritons riding a four-game skid right now. They only played once last week. But now, returning to Mark Twain, have to feel good about that for Umsel, but maybe not feeling as good about the team that they have to go up against. The UND Greyhounds riding an 18-game winning streak against Umsel in this one. And it feels like, you know, backs are up against the wall right now for the Tritons. Yeah, backs are up against the wall. Not only last week headed into Saturday's matchup, they were at eighth in the Great Lakes Valley Conference. They now move up to tied for sixth. So basically you could say they're sixth or seventh right now at this point of the GLVC standing. So they're right on the cusp of being knocked out. They know that a UND win not only would A, help their resume for the NCAA tournament, which they were being considered for last week, but B, would feel like it would guarantee them a spot in the GLVC tournament if you can get a massive win, six and a half points against Windy. So they know this is big, uh, but they've lost four of their last five games. They don't want to make it any. They've lost five of six, so they don't want to make it six of seven. They don't want to make it five losses in a row. That would be a crazy fall off. Um, as Tyler was mentioning, it's kind of just been a flip of the script. Uh, you thought it would have been a, a slow start, strong finish like last year. Well, it's been a strong start, slow finish, but they still have a few games to try to figure it out and turn it around, um, at least in terms of what they've done as of late. Yeah, and when these two teams met earlier in the year, it was a real battle, you know, in Nickerson Hall, back and forth. Umsel had the lead on a couple separate occasions in the second half, but ultimately too much Greyhounds. But, you know, it just feels like these teams are so different compared to when they met earlier in the year. All the momentum right now, riding with Uindy and somehow Umsel needing to turn things around. They have only dropped one game all year long inside of Mark Twain, 11 and one. So they're hoping that they can use that to their advantage against the Greyhounds and pick up a much needed win on Thursday night against UND. And then the final game slated for that Thursday night, Maryville playing host to McKendry. So the Bearcats not having to travel too far right across the river to town and country in the St. Louis area to take on the Saints and it's a Maryville team that, I mean, wow, you look at that blowout that they had last week against Missouri S&T. They took care of business against Umsel as well. And, you know, this is a team that you really don't want to see. I mean, that's why they're a team right now that you look at them potentially get it. They're at the eighth spot right now. In the GLVC standings, you think about the matchup. I don't think any they can't be afraid of anybody by the way they've been playing. Like right now, if they go play UND on a neutral court, it would be a good game because Maryville has shown that they could be dangerous with Ben Palacios and Jaden Smith shooting the basketball. And they it's going to be interesting to see what they could do to finish the season because I know uh, that they had such a strong non conference uh, start. They started really hot. Um, and I know that it was. It was kind of Maryville and Umsel 
in the non-conference and you, Indy, as well. Uh, a couple of the St. Louis GLVC schools who are really turning heads. And um, you, you really hope that Jesse Shaw, who, who can turn this program around, a GLVC tournament berth would definitely be a step in that direction. Absolutely. And when you look at the first time that these two teams met, it was played on McKendry's terms. Bryce Boltman delivered the first body blow in the game, and he never looked back. He had 36 points. That was a season high for Bryce Boltman in that game. He made his first six three-pointers that he took. He made 11 of 15 shots in the game. And McKendry, as a team, shot 61% in the game, 54% from three, 94% from the free throw line. And, you know, you factor in all those things and – Maryville had it at a at an eight point game at McKendry earlier this year. So you have to think for the Saints, hey, if we at least just don't let them shoot otherworldly numbers, we'll have a great shot at home to try to pick up a win against McKendry with, you know, a lot on the line. Like you talk about, these two teams could be fighting for that eight seed and the result of this game could de- could determine it right here. Yes, because the tiebreaker would go to Maryville if they win. It would wash if uh, McKendry picks up the win. Um, and so they really other way need, around. Other way around, yes. And uh, so McKendry, if they pick up the win, they go, okay, we've got it now. We've got the tiebreaker. Yeah. They don't want to have that wash because they know that that's a McKendry team that's fighting for a GLVC tournament berth as well. They're right on the outside looking in. And so this is a massive game in that eight to 10 matchup right now. Um, it could really change a lot of things. And I think that it's there. You're going to be asking, you're going to be looking for Bryce Boltman to do what he did last time, take over the game. Um, and it's a massive game for McKendry because they want to hold on to that tiebreaker because you know, it might come down to that um, with, with McKendry and Maryville in this one. Yep, already Missouri S&T owns the tiebreaker over McKendry. The Bearcats want to give themselves as many opportunities as they can to claim that final spot, if it comes down to that, in the PRS. So then we move along to our final day in conference play. Saturday, February 25th, Lewis will go on the road to take on Drury. And this was that example that we used a little bit earlier of a game that, you know, on the surface looks like, you know, what's what's the big deal? Do we really need to talk about this game? Well, we do for the reason that if Drury moves over the 250 win percentage mark, then you're looking at completely different formulas to determine where everybody else sits in the standings. And it's a game played at Drury. So they have two games at home to try to get that job done and potentially shake up the entire league. Oh, that's all Drury needs to do. They need to get to five wins. Um, to shake it up and to give everybody else who's beaten Drury on the road uh, a little bit more of a friendly uh, point rating. So uh, that's going to be fun to see. I think that um, you you talk about the game being a tough task. I think that's to say the least, but I don't know. I think that you're pulling. I mean, I'm a Hawk fan, so I know the Hawks beat Drury early this year. I'm pulling for Drury to get one of their last two for sure. Yep, I think there will be more than one team that yes. will be pulling for those Panthers to at least get one of those coming up this weekend on Saturday. They play host to Lewis. Then our next game that we'll look at, Missouri S&T at home against UND. And my goodness, I mean, this could shape up to be 
a really fun game, right? You look at the kind of contrast and physicality defense from Indianapolis, the skill, ability to score the basketball from anywhere on the floor when you got a guy like Julian Smith for Missouri S&T and really could be an exciting game and one that, again, has huge implications for a team in Missouri S&T that is trying to work their way up at the bottom of the standings, and you consider that their game on Thursday, home against Lewis, just not a lot of points on the line for Missouri S&T. Even if they win that game, it's kind of like holding serve and just kind of preserving their spot in the standings, really, rather than boosting them, that chance to get a boost comes against the Greyhounds in this one. Exactly, because if they beat Lewis, Lewis would guaranteed not be able to get above that 250 mark. So at the end of the day, you just have to beat Lewis. There's no other option for S&T, but if you beat Uindy and you get six and a half points, wow, wow, that's going to be a big time uh, boost for your team. I think that when you talk about two of the more dynamic players in this league going up against each other, Jesse Bingham and Julian Smith, um, then you got Ikena Okiki down low with Kendrick Choa. It's a fun matchup. I think that last time, though, when these two teams Teams meant it was uh, what we talked about Kendrick Choa being to Drury uh, earlier. Kendrick Choa just being too much. It was much too much um, against ST last time the two teams played. So they certainly hope that it's going to be different now uh, to close out the year for ST as they're going to have a conference tournament berth probably hanging in the balance if they can upset uh, what is a top 10 team in the country currently ranked sixth in the nation right now. And UND potentially could be playing this game um, on a 19 game win streak. So yeah, there's going to be a lot on the line for the old Niners. Yeah, just like everyone else, looking for an answer to the man that is Kendrick Choa, just an absolute force down in the paint. Missouri S&T at home against UND on Saturday, and then we get to the team that you cover, the Quincy Hawks, on the road against the Rockhurst Hawks up in Kansas City, and this will be you know, a, a huge game for both teams. Man, I mean, this is a massive, this is one of the matchups I think that you circle. I mean, Quincy has got a massive week coming up at SBU, at Rockers, two teams that could finish above 500 in the league. So for Quincy, that's a potential chance to get 12 points this weekend, uh, just off the two games, not to mention the added points you could get based off what other teams do. Um, But this is going to be a massive game to finish the year. Rockers is going to be looking for revenge after Quincy beat him at home earlier this season. Um, Quincy was able to take Rich Byrie out uh, last time. He had early foul trouble, wasn't able to get going early in that game. Um, Quincy will see what they can do um, in in this one. I think this is going to be a massive game. You're going to ask for a big-time night from Malik Harbin. You've got to ask for a big-time night from Zion Richardson and Paul Zelinskis and Jamari Coke. Like Everybody has to step up this weekend uh, for Quincy because you've got two really good teams on the schedule, on the road, hungry teams as well in SBU and Rockers trying to get the best seed possible. No question. And, you know, a, a couple of teams that they have that clear leader in Malik Hardman and Rich Byrie, but it almost feels like one of those games where who of that supporting cast really steps up and, and is an impact player to decide where that yeah. one goes. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Tamaris Brown. Shadzi, mm-hmm. Tamaris Hour. Brown. Jake Auer can yeah. shoot the lights out, you know, and then you look at the other side for a Quincy. Can a guy like Isaiah Foster? Yeah, be, be a huge impact from that three point line as well. 
I agree. It's going to come down to empty in the kitchen sink. I mean, everyone's going to leave it on the hardwood in this game. Because think about this. If Quincy loses to SBU and some other teams win below them, Quincy could just be – they could, could would just maybe need that game against Rockers to get in the tournament. Or they if they beat SBU, maybe they say, oh, we get this. We potentially could rise to third or second. So I think either way, um, it's <laughs> – <laughs> it's it, there's a lot uh, coming down to this game against Rockhurst and just overall to finish out the season for every team at the Great Lakes Valley Conference. But for Quincy playing two teams above 500 on the road, like they have a lot to play for, just like Truman does. I mean, when, when you have a lot of points out there uh, to go get, um, that certainly adds a little bit of motivation to you. But at the end of the day, the coaches and the players are just going to prepare the best they know how um, and try to do their best. Uh, whatever team it is, wherever it is, because that's just the Great Lakes Valley Conference. And that's just college basketball in general at the division two or any level for that matter yeah no question rockhurst and quincy going to be a whole lot of fun coming up on saturday and then we get to umsel at home playing inside mark twain taking on mckendry for their final game of the regular home season umsel was ranked all the way at number 11 in the country when they took on mckendry earlier this year they handed the Bearcats a loss inside the Harry M. Statham Sports Center, 83-73. to And it feels like McKendry is going to need some payback in this one if they want to reach their ultimate goal of getting into the conference tournament. Yeah, you look at McKendry's week coming up, a massive game against Maryville. And then if they can get the win against Umsel, Umsel guaranteed is going to be a 500-plus team, no matter what. So if you could get a 500-plus win on the road, um, McKendry, if they can get two wins this week, they've got a really good chance to get in. You'd say it's likely if they get two wins, although it's going to be hard. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be a difficult task. But if they get two wins this week, you would say it's likely. Uh, it's hard to say based on what other games have it, but it's very likely uh, that they do get inside the GLVC tournament. Um, it's going to be an interesting matchup against Umsel, but I think Bryce Bowman is a guy that you ask, you say, just take over. Hey, hey, buddy, we know you're one of the best players in the league. You're arguably a GLVC player of the year type guy. He's that good. He should be considered for that award every time he touches the court. Um, and so he's a guy that you ask to take over in that respect because uh, certainly I think that if you take out the best player, best team, uh, Bryce Boltman might be the best player in the league. Exactly, and that's that's kind of where I was going to go with this one. Stole the words right out of my mouth. Feels like a like a game where you need that vintage Bryce Boltman performance, and you know, not to put a ton of pressure on a guy, but <laughs> if there's anyone who can handle it. It would be the two-time All GLVC first teamer and former freshman of the year within the conference, McKendry at Umsel to wrap up their respective regular seasons. Then we move to Truman State on the road against William Jewell. And, you know, William Jewell, who had been playing such great basketball, had that loss on the road against Illinois Springfield. How do they respond here in their final game of the year? A home game against Truman State, one that they have to feel like they probably should win, but it's one thing to feel like you should win it, and it's another thing to go out there and actually get the job done. Yeah, and Jewel's just going to be sitting there just with that game Saturday. So you talk about Jewel just having one game left. They're going to go into Saturday, very clear picture potentially of what they need to do um, because they, it could be a chance where, hey, if you lose, you might not be in. 
Like that's how crazy it is from two through ten right now. Or it's if we win, well, we could stay at the two seed or or whatever it may be. Um, because there's so much still happening in the points rating system right now. You think Jewel um has secured a spot in the Great Lakes Valley Conference tournament? That feels like it's probably understood uh, across many different levels right now. But they'll find out. They'll see the things shift on Thursday right before their eyes, and they'll see. Okay, we need to finish out the year strong. Get a victory against Truman State and head into the Great Lakes Valley Conference tournament with whatever seed we have with a full head of steam and know that, hey, we weren't being considered last week for a GLVC or an NCAA bid, so we've got to win the GLVC tournament uh, to get into uh, the automatic qualifying. So they want to do that and they have a team to do it. They made a run last year in the GOVC tournament. They've returned all their starters like we've talked about all season long. Um, they've got ability to shoot the basketball out the gym with uh, Jordan Tremaine and Mason Alexander uh, down low. You got to love what Eli Wingard has done. He's one of the more bouncy guys in this league. Uh, Ferguson, Shiyoyo down low. And then obviously McKinley's just got that motor like any other in this league. So I am a really big fan of this William Jewell team and, and I sincerely hope that they can finish the you're strong, although they're going to be going up against Truman team, especially if Truman gets a win on Thursday. They might have something to say about that top eight, too, although it's unlikely if some things fall into place for Truman, uh, they potentially could have an opportunity and finish the year strong. So it's not going to be any slouch. Truman State's going to give them everything they can handle, especially and potentially the final game of the careers of some of those seniors who have been a part of such a story. Truman State Bulldog program, a team that has made three straight NCAA tournaments and might not make the GLVC tournament as of this moment. They want to finish out their career strong, the likes of Hunter Strait, you know, somebody who has been a big time impact guy for years for this Truman State team. So you know that him and Hayes Camp and, and Dylan Peters are, are going to give them everything they can handle. There's no question about that. Yeah, that's what's so much fun about this setup is that every single game matters and both Truman State and William Jewell should be completely motivated going into that game yeah. everything on the line for both of those teams same can be said for southwest baptist playing host to illinois springfield and my goodness you look at the matchups just across the board in this game should be a phenomenal game between these two and you know when when i think about the southwest baptist team and you got a guy like a mitch Ganote leading them at the helm such a solid steady presence on this team you have to feel like a guy like he and Quinn Nelson can go a long way come this time of the year down the stretch when you need guys to be consistent and, and get things done I mean they almost pulled off the win at the track earlier this year a place that's proven nearly impossible to get a win in 63 to 61 it was the Prairie Stars but really looking forward to this rematch I'm really looking forward to it as well. You look at Jordan Rice going up against why well, I mean he's going to try to penetrate inside against great perimeter defenders of Crawford and Gano. Um, and then on uh, down low, it feels like again it might be a mismatch time for old Jack Weber. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I can't wait for that one. That's going to be really fun. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. Well. You know, this was a really exciting episode. A huge thank you to Tyler Madsen for adding to our discussion. And, of course, make sure you go check that out. I think we're going to put that separate to our conversation yep. here. But but we'll make sure that it's all in that same place where you can find it and take in all that great content at once like we know you like to do inside the GLVC because that's how we like it, too here on the play-by-play -play perspective. So for now, from my partner, Will Connerly, I'm Colin Surrey saying thank you for tuning in once again, 
and we'll see you again soon.